0: 3-2 to Suzuki. Kurt Suzuki, see you later. The Nets have
1: won it. Seven runs in the bottom of the ninth. This is deep to center field. Bellinger's back, it's a grand
0: slam. Howie Kendrick with a 10th inning grand slam
1: to break it open. The former Dodger breaking hearts of Los Angeles. Kick in here it comes swing
0: and a miss, swing and a miss, swing and a miss, and a World Series game seven winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. You are listening to the Locked On Nationals podcast. Your one-stop shop for news, analysis, and conversation surrounding your reigning, undisputed World Series champion Washington Nationals. Now, here's
1: your host, Josh Neighbors.
0: Well everybody, today is Tuesday, April 28th, 2020. My name is Josh Neighbors. This is a Locked On Nationals podcast. It is our 2019 Nationals rewatch, part number 7. It is game 5 of the 2019 NLDS and joining me tonight is Connor Jones as always. Connor, you had to correct me. It felt like this was kind of the Nationals' nationally championship series because they thumped the Cardinals so soundly that um, this really felt like their, um, their kind of pinnacle moment in terms of, of reaching, reaching the World Series. This really felt like kind of their seminal moment, their, uh, the culmination of all these championship attributes that we've talked about. This felt like the game where we saw that all on display, and this is kind of the moment I think that sticks out through their National League run to the World Series out of all the, let's see, I guess it was four plus five plus one. So out of the ten games they played against the National League teams in the playoffs, this felt like the big run, uh, or the big one in my
1: opinion. Yeah, Josh actually asked if we could talk about NLCS Game 5, <laughs> and if I was remembering correctly, the Cardinals did not win a game in that series, so I was assuming so that I this can... is what, what he was referring to, so yeah, in a lot of ways, you're right. I do think that this game did sort of feel like the a National League Championship Series Game 7, more than an LDS. Not to be too disrespectful to the Cardinals, because they were a good team, but I do think that both the Nats and the Dodgers felt like there was a pretty significant advantage for either of whoever won that Game Five going into that that next series. So yeah, it it felt more it it felt like much of a bigger game than just advancing to the NLCS. It felt like it was giving you a, a really fantastic chance to get all the way to the World Series.
0: Yeah, and you know you look at how this kind of this the series, um, how it shaped up the Nationals. Uh, lost the first game in the series. It really wasn't that competitive at all. They, they, got, they got trounced 6-0. Come back with a 4-2 win in game two. That was one that Strasburg was uh lights out for six innings. In, lights out for six innings in 10 strikeouts in that game. Dodgers responded with a 10-4 win, and Nationals came back in game four with a six to one victory. So you're, you're heading to this game, and you know, kind of it's it's all bets are off uh kind of in these elimination games, but what was interesting to me is that, it, is that this Dodgers team just had so much pressure on them because of the amount of winning that they've done in the regular season and their inability to finish out these awesome regular seasons that they've put together. And so, when you, when you, you know, the Nationals obviously too know that feeling all too well. But for the Dodgers, they're at home. It's a team that, you know, won over 100 games. And um, it was weird because going into the game, it felt like the pressure was definitely on them. But they did come out in a more composed team. But before the game started, you know, I, I think the headline coming into this game was more focused on the Dodgers. Like, is this, t- is this finally the time where the Dodgers take that step? They're at home. They've got a chance to knock off the Nationals. Obviously, they have to go against Strasburg. But, you know, they got to him early. And, you know, yeah, it's that's one of those games where, um, you know, I, I think the headline had to be about the Dodgers heading into it.
1: Yeah, I think, that, without a doubt, the Dodgers are the team facing – way more pressure than the Nationals coming to that game because they're the team that dominated the National League all year long. They've been to the World Series multiple times recently. So, I mean, they've they've been there two years in a row. They've came up short. They think that this may be their year and they're coming back in a game five at home where the Nationals have really been a team that that have kind of has faced that pressure before in playoff series. But I don't think that this was the, the year where they felt that pressure because they were a team that was 19-31. and 31. They had to battle all the way to get there. And like you said, the Dodgers, coming in with the number of games they've won, I mean, they, they feel like they should be advancing well beyond the NLDS.
0: What to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love Postmates. But I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivered without leaving my house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they created a non-contact delivery system. So now when I order food from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I have been using to order takeout food from my favorite local restaurants. Listen up, you guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now more than ever. I've only been ordering local because it's a great way to support my community. And Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier by picking up everything else I need from Walgreens, 7-Eleven, and dropping it off right at my door. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get everything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. So start your free deliveries, download the app, and use the code locked on. That's code locked on for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmates it. Well, so Walker Bueller and Steven Strasburg is your pitching matchup, and... Um, Buehr started off I mean he, was, he got off to a really good start against the Nationals gets a strikeout and gets out of that first inning one, two, three Strasburg immediately runs into trouble and um, Peterson gets that John Peterson gets that ground rule double Max Muncy hammers one and is able to put the Dodgers up two to nothing
1: in the air to right center field Adam Eaton goes back Adam Eaton has no chance homer, Dodgers on top in the bottom of the first. A one-two punch, right to the jaw of Stephen Strasburg.
0: And Strasburg clearly didn't have that—you know—have his best stuff. He, he, he walked Justin Turner right after that. You have another single in that inning, and luckily he was able to get a double play and get out of it after a strikeout as well too. But it was clear early he was going to have to battle because the Dodgers were locked into him.
1: Yeah, you kind of came into the game in the bottom of that first inning feeling like. Steven Strasburg's had so many outstanding starts in the playoffs. You can't just have one more as the Dodgers kind of jump on him right away. But like you mentioned, Max Muncy's is a guy who, even when he's struggling, if you miss to Max Muncy, he's not going to. He's, he's not going to miss a mistake pitch from a pitcher. And that's what you saw uh, with the damage he did there. Strasburg, overall what he did, I think it was really maybe one of the most impressive performances that he's had as a national because it wasn't one where he was dominating out of the gate it was one where maybe a younger Steven Strasburg would have gotten frustrated and had not been able to hold the Dodgers at three runs and you know with a, a mature veteran pitcher like that he was able to do it and give his offense a chance but the way he responded to a rough first inning was was really impressive and was kind of kind of reminiscent of what he did in game six of the world series as well.
0: And you you look and, you know, you go to that second inning. Kike Hernandez goes deep and makes it three to nothing.
1: Hernandez to lead it off, one for three in the division series. With a fly ball to center field. Barely deep. It's really deep. And it is gone. Michael A. Taylor leaping at the wall. Couldn't reach it. Dodgers have a three to nothing lead.
0: And at that point in time, I mean... You know, we, we, like you mentioned, we trust Strasburg so much and we, we see him go out there in the playoffs. What are you thinking as a Nationals fan at that point? 3-0, um, Bueller kind of looks like he's dialed in. He's had nice two innings so far. How are you feeling about, you know, at, at this juncture? Um, a lot of baseball left, obviously, but 3-0 on the road is not not, not the best position, obviously.
1: Pretty terrible. Like, I don't think anyone <laughs> yeah. could, can, can lie and say that you feel good down 3-0 against the Dodgers when you know they have Kershaw still available. We know they still have Kenley Jansen. They have all those guys and is dominating. You don't even know if and when you're able to get him out of the game. So you know anyone you're going to score off of, it's going to be really tough. You're not going to have any good matchups for the rest of that game and you're already behind 3-0. You're facing a Dodgers lineup where you don't feel good about holding them to 3. So you feel like you basically know you need to, but it's like one can you hold this team for zero to zero runs for the rest of the game? And even if you do, can you actually get three runs against the Dodgers pitching staff? So I, I think to say anyone felt good about that, uh, I that that'd be a lie to me.
0: Yeah, and and this is where Strasburg, you know, it felt like the the, the dam was getting close to breaking, but he never let it. And when the Nationals obviously kept struggling, you know, and and you go to that third inning now after it's a three nothing lead, there's still guys on base. Bellinger reaches. Uh, base, you know, because of an error made by Howie Kendrick at second, he's he stole twice, uh, stole second twice in this game. So he was able to put himself in scoring position. And Strasburg worked out of this one, um, in in the third inning, and he did it again later on in the game. But he eventually did settle in. Like his his last few innings of work, and I believe he, you know yeah he, he finishes six innings in this game. His last few innings of work were much better um, than his first few. Uh, you know, and he get, ends up giving up three runs, still strikes out seven. Those two home runs were the big issues. Um, but, yeah, he, he did settle into a groove, and he was able to keep the Nationals in this ballgame.
1: Yeah, he's a guy that he, – he's the kind of pitcher where if you're going to get to him, you need to get to him early. He develops a lot of momentum as games goes on, as they go on. Once he finds his rhythm, he starts to get really, really tough and almost untouchable at times. And that's kind of what you saw in this game, where he struggled first inning, second inning. But after that – he slowly started to become more and more dominant to keep his team in the game. Um, six innings with the Nats bullpen, that made you still maybe going into the game, hope you get more out of him than that. But, uh, you know, after the way things started, you certainly take that, and it's, it's really a, a heck of a job by him overall to, to lead the game with his, team, with his team still having a fighting chance in it.
0: Sixth inning, this is where things for the Nationals pick up just a little bit. Rendon doubles to left, and then Soto singles to right and drives in Anthony Rendon.
1: Soto slaps it to right field. Rendon around third. And the Nats are on the board. Soto knocks him in, and it's 3-1. to
0: That was a a sign of things to come, Connor. This one-two punch has their fingerprints all over this game. But the one thing I, I feel like is most interesting about this inning is that I felt like they were primed for a big inning. And after they get that one-two scoring punch and, and they and they drive across the run, and make it three to one, Dodgers. Howie Kendrick grounds to a double play, and that one—it really felt like that—that that took a lot of momentum out of the Nationals. It felt like that—that that sixth inning could have been a big uh, opportunity for them to maybe even even the score of that game, um, more so than get just one run out of it. And I was kind of you know going back through this game, I kind of felt that dismay, you know, kind of a bit dismayed. Even on rewatch, even knowing what's happening, it felt like a lot of their momentum was was killed because that was a top part of their lineup, and they weren't able to build much off of that.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It was a really rough, rough night for Howie Kendrick up yeah. until that grand slam. Yeah, yeah. Just brutal in the field, a, a rally-killing double play there as part of an 0-4 up until extra innings. So, yeah, you, know, you think you're finally getting something going against Bueller you know it's going to be tough to have multiple innings like that or have more multiple opportunities to actually get runs. So you feel like, you know, you got one in, you got a guy on, and you have no outs. You want to keep getting something going there because you have Kendrick coming up, you have Zimmerman coming up. And you know, that that double play is an absolute backbreaker.
0: Yeah, it w- it was. And um they you know, they get out of that inning. It's the half inning rather. It's 3-1. Strasburg allows a, a single there and a shallow right from Bellinger and top of the bottom of the sixth, excuse me. But then strike gets three straight strikeouts and they're out of it. Top of the seventh of the Nationals, this was a scary moment when, when Kurt Suzuki gets hit, uh, hit in the face by a pitch. Hits his hands, bounced up, hits him in the face. You know, bad, awful break, obviously. Good that he was able to come back. But Gomes comes in. They're able to get two guys on. And then Kershaw comes in. And it felt like with with a runner on first and second maybe that was a moment the Nationals had to strike early against Kershaw on a spot he's he's kind of used to coming in, but no dice, and I was actually pretty impressed by Kershaw. It felt like maybe that was a moment where things would go wrong for him, but he came in in a weird spot and was able to get some outs, so I think he does deserve a little... I mean, he gets hammered, and I actually feel horrible for him. for it. I mean, he needs to perform better, but he's one of the greatest players of our... not just pitchers, but players of our generation. Moments like this are where he shows it, um, but the subsequent stuff is awful, but at least for a moment, Connor, I thought Kershaw looked kind of dialed in.
1: Yeah, what happened here, it's it's also kind of it, it's a disappointing end to an inning for the Nats because you got two guys on. You feel like if you can get a hit there, maybe even an extra base hit, that's your opportunity to get runs on because you actually have runners on base and you finally have Bueller out of the game. Um, and if Eaton gets on base, you get it back to the, to the middle of the order, guys. And so that strikeout, you know, when you're sitting there at the – in the middle of the seventh, just I mean, it's it just seems it seems like you're in a ton of trouble because Kershaw came in, he struck a guy out, so you're like, oh, Kershaws dialed in tonight. This is gonna be this is gonna be really tough because when he is locked in like that, it's it's borderline impossible to be able to get to him. So yeah, Kershaw on that coming in there, tough at bat for Eaton going against the lefty, but yeah, he came in and. At least for one hitter there he did his job.
0: We'll fast forward also, well let's give let's give Tanner Rainey, Rainey some credit. Held things down there in that bottom of the uh of the seventh inning. Did not allow anybody on base. Um and was able to get a strikeout as well too. That was that was situation. I'm not sure how you felt with Rainer Rainey in the game there. I didn't know if they were gonna go straight to Corbin or if they were gonna go, you know, Rainey first, but they went to Rainey and he was able to get things done there in that, that bottom of the seventh.
1: Yeah, it seemed like Kind of all postseason long, Martinez had the magic touch with those decisions. So, I mean, there was multiple times where what I wanted him to do or what I would have done, it turned out that Martinez was right making, <laughs> yeah. making certain decisions. This is one of them, bringing in Tanner Rainey. Because if he comes in and, and gives up, or puts a couple guys on base and they give up another run, how often are people going to question that? But that's a, a phenomenal job by Rainey because, I mean, he's struggled. He's been up and down right when he's doing when he's going well he's going really well when he's struggling to throw strikes i mean it it can be really tough so for him to come in there and get those outs when they absolutely needed them to get back in the dugout and get get the middle of the order to the plate that's that's humongous and then you go to corbin cuz you can't let jock peterson beat you again with one swing of the bat and and then corbin came in and and was phenomenal for the rest of that game while he was in it
0: yeah and then we go to the top of the eighth, and I remember, I remember watching this, and I'm not sure the feeling you got before this happened. And, I, I, you know, we toot our own horns time in this podcast, but I really did have a feeling about those at-bats, about these guys coming up. And I know I said at the end of, of you know the last inning, getting Kershaw in that spot, that's kind of where you wanted them. But, man, there's no two guys you want back-to-back in that spot more than Rendon. And Soto, and I forget how many pitches, was it back-to-back pitches? I believe it was.
1: It was, yeah, it was yeah. back-to-back pitches. And he faces three, four, and five. Swung on, hit of the year to deep left center field. Taylor going back, warning track, at the wall, he leaps, it is gone, goodbye! Bang, zoom goes Rendon on the second pitch from Clayton Kershaw. And this is now a one-run game here in the top of the eighth inning. So now the batter is Juan Soto. He swings and belts. What a deep right center field. Way back. Going. Going. And gone. Goodbye. Halfway up the pavilion. A tremendous game. Tying. Home run by Juan Soto. And this game is all even. And Kershaw
0: is done. In a matter of three pitches, the Nationals have turned this game completely around and stunned Dodger Stadium. And there was and that breaking ball down to Rendon, and he got a, I mean perfect swing. Um, just that's exactly how you hit that pitch. He goes the yard, and then Soto brings the hammer. I mean, 450 feet on that second home run, and you're tied 3-3. Those two guys took on the best pitcher of the last decade, and they both came out on top. I mean, what an approach from both those guys. Clearly the moments of the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's... I remember that point, coming that into point. that eighth inning, texting into a group chat saying, Rendon, Soto, Kendrick sounds like runs. And yeah. I, I'm not going to say that I actually believe that, but it was trying to kind of LeVar it and speak it into existence there. <laughs> but yeah, the home run from Rendon... That's actually a pretty good pitch by Kershaw, like that's just kind of a really tough break.
0: It's Barry I mean he buried that Jones pitch. a pitch pretty far down where he
1: got he got beat by a great hitter, not necessarily anything he did wrong. The one to Soto that's one where you kind of wonder, is he a little bit rattled after that home run? Because he grooves one to Juan Soto, and I believe that's that Soto's longest home run of his career on that next pitch, so um, yeah, I mean you couldn't ask for for two better options and have to have at the plate. And it shows what that middle of the order, Rendon and Soto, both overall were able to do for that offense.
0: And, and that to that point, that pitch to Kershaw to Rendon, I mean, it was pretty, if I'm remembering correctly, pretty low in the zone, pretty buried, but Rendon does an excellent job getting his hands through. Yeah, even maybe if not I,
1: even in the zone. Probably yeah, not. Uh,
0: yeah, oh, no, I, yeah, I don't think it was. But, um, I mean, Rendon gets his hands through and gets that pitch and just takes it out of the park. I mean, an excellent swing, an excellent approach. And then, yeah, that one to Soto. That one's, that one's pretty much served up on a platter. And that's not the pitch I would have gone with right after, um, considering the batter. I you know, obviously didn't mean to hit there, but I'm not sure I would have gone breaking ball in that situation there with Soto coming up. Maybe fastball you bury it somewhere else. Um, but he just left that thing up on a platter, and Soto just – you can see his eyes light up, and he, he nails that thing. Um, to your point, though, about the middle of the order struggling, this is followed by Kenta Maeda coming in and getting back-to-back-to-back strikeouts. Uh, so he strikes out Kendrick, Zimmerman, and Gomes. So that middle of the lineup continues just to struggle at that point. Going to 8th and ninth, it felt wide open, right? I mean, you had to feel great about the tying it up. But this game felt very wide open.
1: Yeah, it did feel... It definitely felt like a wide open game. You, I still kind of felt like... I was getting my hopes up for nothing to only, to only suffer real heartbreak late in that game (laughs) that may not have even been there without the two home runs. But yeah, you get, you get down into the ninth inning and then into extras. You, Patrick Corbin has really done a great job for Washington overall, but you know, in the top of the ninth, you have to hit for Patrick Corbin. So that takes him out of the game. So you kind of burn, you burn that bullet and then you're on to, to Daniel Hudson. So, all you can do is hope that he holds it for the ninth. I think the longer this game goes, the more trouble it is for Washington as they as they oh, kind cool. of run out of quality arms. They don't have the depth that the Dodgers do in that regard. So you're hoping, you know, this offense, if they're they're going to strike, it's going to have to be soon because I don't know how long that Washington can hold the, the Dodgers' offense down. Yeah, but,
0: Corbin, yeah, Corbin comes in and does a really good job. I mean, he he's able to get one out. He he hits uh, Justin Turner, but then gets back to back strikeouts. and gets out of that eighth inning. And you're right, you know, was, they had a hit for him. So obviously they couldn't keep him in the game as long as, as, long as he'd like to because I think, I think Davey wanted to at least get another inning out of him there. Uh, wouldn't yeah. you agree?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely would with the way he was going. Same thing goes for L.A., though, with Maeda. I mean, the Nats can't hit that guy. Yeah. There's regular season, postseason, they do not hit Kenta Maeda well. So getting him out of there was huge. To have the opportunity to to face Joe Kelly, the pleasure, the the pleasure
0: and the honor to face one Joe Kelly in a playoff game.
1: Yeah, so I mean, when the Dodgers are going to the bullpen, I'm personally open for anybody besides Maeda. He's given the offense so many problems, Um, but Hudson, he did do a good job. The ball to Will Smith every time I see the ball hit that hit Will Smith's bat, I think that this may be the time it goes over the the fence in right field and the Nats Mm -hmm. get walked off, but. So besides that terrifying moment, good job by him. And, yeah. you know, going into the 10th, that's where I felt like they needed to – the Nats offense had to do something. You had two, three, four up. You don't know how long your 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 good bullpen arms are going to be able to go before the Dodgers get to somebody or you have to go to somebody you don't necessarily feel comfortable with bringing into the game. So I, they, they scored and they did it right when they needed to.
0: Yeah, and in that ninth inning, you know, Hudson obviously – he gets the first strikeout, and then the the single uh, to Hernandez, and that Smith ball. You hear it when you and you go back and look at the call. You hear Ernie Johnson kind of holding because he didn't know how deep that ball was going to be, and it ended up dying. You know, I guess kind of close-ish to the wall, but you know, it, everything feels a bit closer um, in those playoff games. Yeah, Hudson gets out of that. I think you're right. Joe Kelly still in the game at the top of the tenth, and. We talked about it earlier, those big moments of, of guys get, you know, doing things. Eaton working that walk. Um, Rendon with the ground rule double, and they intentionally walk Soto. So we have to obviously start off there. Eaton working that walk. Great job by him. Another patient professional at bat. is able to start things off against Joe Kelly. The top of the order is now seeing, you know, seeing a guy that the, the rest of the club, or a few guys got to see before, I think it's a huge benefit. Um, In this game, it seems like pitchers kind of in and out. You know, guys only once they came in were only inning tops. They're lucky they got to see Joe Kelly again. And you look at this, you know, Eaton walks, Rendon ground rule doubles, Soto intentionally walk and Kendrick. Smart move by them to bring up Kendrick. He had been, you know, dog shit the entire night, but for lack of a better term. In that moment, man, he was he was Superman. So Howie Kendrick, the former Dodger, has a chance to put the Nationals in front here in the 10th inning in game five. Swinging a fly ball, center field deep. Bellinger going back to the warning track, to the wall. It's a grand slam. Howie Kendrick has done it. They're going crazy in the Nationals' dugout. Howie Kendrick with a grand slam here in the 10th inning of game five. The Nationals seven, the Dodgers three.
1: Do you believe it? The former Dodger breaking hearts in Los Angeles. Uh, a lot of flack that Dave Roberts got for using Joe Kelly for a second inning of work here instead of bringing in Jansen facing the middle of the order, right. or starting off the Eaton and then Rendon Soto, which I, I get why Dodgers fans are frustrated about that. But once you get to a situation where its base is loaded, there's nowhere to put Howie Kendrick you're in trouble. Like, I know he's had a terrible night defensively, right. offensively, but he's such a professional hitter and a guy and a contact hitter and always hits the ball hard. When you have nowhere to put him and you have to throw him strikes, you kind of sit there like, he's going to hit the ball hard somewhere. You just have right. to hope at him. And obviously here, when it's over the fence, it's not at somebody. <laughs> and that, but you kind of know going into that bat, like I said, Howie Kendrick's going to hit the ball hard. And fortunately, there was enough, uh, enough elevation on it to get it over the fence.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, he, he really earns the Deion Waiters Award by best performance by a role player. I know, obviously, he's, you know, he is, uh, he had such a good season for the Nationals. But on a night where he really, like you said, couldn't do it at the plate, had the error at um, second base as well, too, this was his moment. And not only like, what, what you bring up with Kendrick. They had Zerman right behind him too. So that's not like that's not a combination you wanna be facing with basis loader. Right? I mean, just those two like between those two guys, somebody's gonna hit the ball somewhere and hit it hard and I don't think they were gonna they were never going to escape those two guys back to back unscathed. It just yeah, wasn't you know, they're
1: guys they're two guys who aren't gonna panic. They're mm-hmm. veteran guys who have played in a lot of big games. They've played for so long in the major leagues that they're not gonna let the moment get the best of them. They're gonna be able to slow things down and not try and do too much you're not going to be able to get them out by throwing the ball outside of the strike zone. They're not going to get themselves out. And when you have hitters that are talented like that, that are going to make you throw them strikes with guys on base. I mean, there's just not at that point, there's not much the Dodgers can do. Right. I kind of felt like when Rendon, I felt like the game was over when Rendon hit the ball and it got caught. Mm -hmm. It got caught in the wall. At that point, I was like, I was like, the Nats are going to win this game because of you see who's coming behind him. You obviously can't face Soto. But then after that, you're you you do not really have guys that you wanna that you feel comfortable trying to get out in those situations either.
0: Yeah, I mean they had to put Settle on it out of necessity, you just couldn't face him. Um, credit to Sean Doolittle for making sure things did not get messy in that tenth inning, because obviously in games like this they can. Doolittle got in and out. So I, I think he deserves some credit for that performance as well, too. Seven three, your final through ten innings. And um I forget. Do you remember what night this was on, Connor? I, I don't remember. Was this a Friday night game? This
1: was a Thursday night game. Thursday
0: night game. Right, right.
1: Not sure so, how I remember that, but it was Thursday. Uh, no, actually,
0: I do, too. I was uh, getting, our, getting our mutual friend, A Wednesday game. night game.
1: I, yeah, it was a Wednesday was a, night game. Wednesday or
0: Thursday night? It was game one,
1: one Wednesday night game, because uh, game one against the Cardinals was a Friday night.
0: So I remember, I, I guess I went on the radio that before before the game one started um, at KCOU Sports, and then the next day at KTGR, the local uh, ESPN radio affiliate in Columbia, Missouri. And even after it was 1 0, I, I said this. And I don't know why I said, I, was, I said, the Cardinals, look, man, they don't have anything of the Nationals. They just don't. The Nationals have battled through all these weird, kind of obscure games, the, real, the, the weird wild card game. They've battled back in that game seven. The Cardinals just felt like they hadn't really faced anywhere near the adversity that the Nationals had. And the Nationals had already proven to us their championship medal. Whether it be you know coming back from their dreadful start, whether it be the wild card game, them bouncing back from taking that first game off, them coming back from being down three nothing and, and going up against guys like Kershaw and getting the job done, it just seemed like they proved it. And you and that's why there's no Cardinal game on our list of of you know the next three games we're going to do are all World, World Series games, because to be honest, like. I feel like the headline for me was like, there's no stopping this train. <laughs> like, there's, there's no stopping it. That's what it felt like to me, the headline coming out of this game, because I just knew something inside of me. I just, just knew that the Cardinals didn't have anything for them. You just point to those championship moments. You and I have talked about them. The Cardinals didn't have those to point to, and the Nationals had those credentials. And, oh, yeah, they have a better team.
1: Yeah, it, sound, it kind of felt like going into that Cardinals series, it was going to go one of two ways it wasn't going to end with the Cardinals finishing it quickly. It, it The best for St. Louis, it was going to be a, a long, drawn-out fight. Right. But the Nats coming out of that Dodgers series with all that momentum, the Cardinals obviously had it too, winning their game five. But you felt like if you could go to St. Louis, especially with Anibal pitching game one and then having Max oh, yeah. game two, if you can get that first road win in St. Louis – you have a chance to make that series really quick because you got Scherzer in Game Two, and then you you come back home for for three games if you need it. So you kind of you feel like you can step on their throats if you can win that first game. Right. And, and Anibal Sanchez comes out and is absolutely phenomenal, dominates that game. And when the Nats really didn't have much offense, and you come out of Game One against St. Louis, and I won't say that I thought that I was like. I was taking that series for granted, but after game one, that's when I felt really good about it and thought that the Nats had a chance to finish it quickly.
0: Yeah. And, and because we're not going to do very much on this series, I mean, let's, let's give Anibal his props for that, that first game. Um, I mean, he, you know, the, he, obviously he had a lot of success in the regular season. The nationals played really well when he pitched like, I, and this is not to take away from his performances, but there was just something about the confidence, and I forget, you know, you and I were talking about the streak that was in the teens for him. But every, you know, he had a streak of consecutive games that where he went out and pitched, the team won, and that streak, you know, ran up into the teens. It was just a guy who was out when he was out there. You know, the team usually backed him up. Well, on that day, the team a ton wasn't there, but Sanchez was money. Seven and two thirds innings, five strikeouts, gives it the one hit and a one walk. Because we're not going to cover this very much, Connor. I mean, that was a performance, in my opinion, of the entire NL, uh, NLCS. What a what an outing from him. And, you know, we always talk about how everybody kind of has their championship moments. This was Anibal's.
1: Yeah, it's basically the only memory from that series. Right. And the, games in, the games in D.C. were blowouts. And then, um, I mean, not to take away from what Max did in Game 2 and Michael A. Taylor's Game 2 home run, but, you know, I think Anibal, without a doubt, was the the story of this series because of what he did with a no hitter going that deep into a, a playoff game. It it really showed you that the Nats didn't have just three outstanding options to start games for in the playoffs. They had four. And that's that's so huge with a team that didn't have much pitching depth, that needed the guys they could trust to to not just be good but to be great. And for Annabal to to join that group along with the three guys that the three all stars that everybody knows about and expects to to go extremely deep into games and and hold the opponent to a low number was just absolutely critical
0: yeah and so that kind of leads us you know to wrap things up here at least for this this portion of what we're talking about we're going to group games one and two together in the world series and then we're going to do six and seven individually so we're talking about the nats first two wins and the upcoming parts and then we're going to do six and seven so we can basically rewin re all the nationals world series wins but yeah, to the, I mean, this yeah. point, that train rolled. It was, you know, they it was six straight. The Nats ended up winning eight straight playoff games. You know, I think people forget this. The, those two they got in LA, the four they got against St. Louis, um, those two they got against LA, excuse me, the four against St. Louis, and then the two they got against Houston. They ended up racking up eight straight wins in this thing.
1: Yeah, it's not that it matters now. The after they won that Astros series, but going from eight straight wins to what happened over the three <laughs> games in DC is still baffling to me yeah how that happened
0: i think it's going to be a really interesting case study for us when we look at games one and two and then we jump to six because you were at all those games and we can talk about the psychology and how things change from a fan perspective from a player perspective because when you think about that that's what's going to be the most interesting story that we're going to talk about is how the hell do you flip around from from going from like we talked about the the eight straight that we're going to dive into the back two more to those losing those three to finishing off the last two it's just mind-boggling
1: yeah, I think I guess it comes down to to two people, Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. Right. That's kind of the common theme with the vast majority of those games, not to not to take away from the talent and what Corbin and Sanchez have done, but the Nats didn't lose a playoff game when Scherzer and Strasburg were on the or were um, the starting pitchers. Right. If I'm remembering correctly. I try and think about the losses So that's game one and three in the NLDS and then, uh, three, four and five in the world series. And, and neither Scherzer or Strasburg were the starters for any of those games. So I think that's kind of, kind of the lesson there.
0: Um, all right. So moving on really, really fast. We have, there's some news. Um, I, am not sure if you saw a story today about the three divisions. That's, that's one story that's been floated, um, I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't gotten done a deep dive on it yet, but I'm not sure how you're feeling about baseball coming back. What's your positivity level? I'm pretty positive about it. I really do think, I really do think we're going to see baseball here relatively soon. Um, I'm excited for it. Can't wait. Really hope we get back in whatever, whatever iteration. Hopefully the non-garbage one that we've already discussed. But normal baseball back in its normal iteration. Hopefully everybody can stay safe, but I'm starting to feel more confident about it.
1: Yeah, I I feel good that it's going to happen. I mean, it might be in some whack format like they were talking about today. But what would you say?
0: Let's hope not.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it it might be. (laughs) But I I think that's the sacrifice people are willing to to make at this point. I mean, sure, would I rather not have three divisions of ten teams and, and be in a division playing the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Mets and the Phillies all in the same year? like? Yeah, I'd rather that not be the case, but it it might be kind of fun, in a way. It also it's better than nothing for sure. So, and it it might actually draw some more interest because it's going to be a season unlike anything we've ever seen. If that's how it opens with three divisions with ten teams, American League and National League are essentially gone. I don't know how that would how the DH would work if we would just have treat them like typical interleague games or what. But I mean, I was looking at the division breakdown today. There's the NL and AL barriers are are no longer there. So, I mean, I, I feel good about it. I, it what we read today actually seems to make the most sense of all of the ideas I've seen up until now. So, you know, if that's the, if that's the best thing, the safest thing, then, then I'm all for it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, the, the iterations we're looking at are all Arizona, um, Arizona and Florida, Arizona, Florida, and Texas as the three places. And, um, I think, I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head.
1: Well, now I they're d- now they're talking about a scenario where everybody's playing in their home stadiums without fans, with uh, ten teams based on their geographical location. I I see. I have a
0: tough time finding that one likely. I, I just don't know how to travel. I like, I know, I know the home stadiums. It, it makes a little bit of sense because how close they are. I don't know if I believe that's going to work. And you're thinking about, I know, mean, just thinking about. The other sports that are actually going to begin to start start you know start up here pretty soon, and that's going to be mostly mixed martial arts is the big example. They're only going to be in a couple places. I just don't see how they make that happen. I know geographically it's safer, but to me, the most viable options still seem like the ones that are going to happen in those states, especially Texas. Excuse me, especially in Texas and Florida.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess my biggest question would be: I I, I saw the plan about playing in the home stadiums without fans. I don't know how feasible it is based on what certain states determine based on their reopening exactly. timelines. Exactly. So that, I mean, are the Dodgers just going to only play road games?
0: Right. And I mean, the, the Mets and the Yankees as well too, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, possibly. I mean, so it, that may not happen. I mean, that, that's going to be a scenario we see in other sports across the board. I mean, you're going to see right. it in, in football, basketball whenever they they start back I mean I think we're going to see California for example as one of the last states to to have sports even without fans so if the leagues come back it'll be interesting to see kind of how you work around those specific teams because I mean at this point who I mean it may be a competitive disadvantage but I mean at some point what do you do
0: right I I think the big issue I'm thinking of is that You can't. I I just don't know if it's feasible to have groups of people going in and out of places like um, New York City, right? I just don't know if, or you know, even Philadelphia, DC, which we know has been hit very hard. A lot of these metropolises or metropoli, I guess, are places that are uh, more susceptible, as we know, just because of the population density. Do you really want to mess with that? In my opinion, I think I think those options they were talking about the 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 options in Arizona, Florida, Arizona, Florida, Texas, whatever it is. Those seem more likely than the the geographical lineups because, like you're saying, I mean, you want the people from DC traveling to Philadelphia, traveling to New York, that just seems a bit too dangerous. And just in my, I mean, I guess amateur opinion, I, I
1: don't, I don't really know. I see what you're saying. My counterpoint to it would be how much of the players going to buy in if they all have to just go down and and stay in some random location for fair enough. For months, that might be why they're trying to move away from that. But I, I definitely kind of follow your point on that. But I mean, I guess it's still almost it's still almost just too early to to put something concrete. But I think that what they're talking about now, two months from now, that actually may be may be pretty feasible to right. play games. I think. I mean, if if opening day was tomorrow, I'd say yeah, probably not a great idea to travel into <laughs> certain certain locations of the country right. that are the ones that are especially the hardest hit. But I think two months from now, the odds of that happening seems to me to actually still uh, be more feasible and make more sense right. than than asking players to stay away from their families in, in states where they're not used to living.
0: Well, I'd say the good news right now is that there's a lot of momentum heading towards major league, uh, the National Basketball Association finishing their season.
1: But, is I mean, there?
0: Yeah, there is. There's a lot of momentum. Obviously, um, depending on the state, they're going to allow teams to go back in their practice facilities. Um, from what you hear, you know, I listened to Bill Simmons, Ryan Ursillo last week, or as as of Sunday. They do believe there's a lot of momentum that, in some way, shape, or form, they're going to um, have a have some kind of conclusion to the season. Now, the big thing is is whether they finish up regular season games or not. And once again. That's Major League Baseball's one big sticking point, I guess, is those RSNs, there's certain numbers built into the contract where they have to pay up a certain amount of money uh, for a certain amount of games. And I believe 70 is the one the NBA has. So there's some teams out there who at 67 regular season games, you know the NBA wants those teams to hit those numbers. We'll see what that conversation looks like for them, and we'll see what that means for Major League Baseball. Obviously, they're different because basketball is a different sport, and clearly, no, that's, that's the obvious one, duh. But also, too, they're at a different point in their season. I think for me, that's like besides the, the sports being different. I'm not sure how you feel about it. I think the point in the season is kind of the biggest difference for baseball getting back as as compared to basketball getting back.
1: For the NBA, I I see zero reason, like besides the financial reasons, to to play the rest of the regular season. Just completely seems unnecessary to me. I feel like you can get to the playoffs there. I mean, obviously, every sport's taking a financial hit. But I don't know how long you can drag this thing out because the NBA playoffs already take an eternity as it is to complete. Um, So, I mean, maybe do something like shorten those first-round series to to try and get games to happen with baseball. It is a little bit different just because – they haven't played any regular season games as of yet but they also have much more of a time frame to work with cuz they don't have to worry about the the start of the 2021 season being until the end of March of next year or mm-hmm. on the 2021 calendar while NBA would be starting up not that far off from the conclusion right. of their season so they have some logistical issues there so i mean they're different challenges they're they both face they both face challenges they're just kind of Almost opposites in what they're trying to, what, what they kind of have to work around. Right. But I think, I mean, when I when I think about it and look at it, especially with what we've seen over the last few weeks or so, I, I think that I think the NBA can finish their season. I think the MLB at some point. Is going to be able to have a season. It's going to feel really weird when both of those things happen because there's not going to be fans at the games. We might see an NBA champion crowned without fans in the stadium. Yeah, so a that practice, would be,
0: in a practice facility. That should be. Yeah, and,
1: and who knows where? So, <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be weird, but it, it's kind of looking to the point where, as far as games being played, it seems like, not too far down the line, there that could be a reasonable expectation.
0: Right yeah I, I I think the one thing you and I probably both conclude at this point is that the Nationals' first title defense is going to look very wonky that is for sure
1: yeah it's gonna be weird. I think yeah. that in a lot of ways like you know it's just even if even if the team does bad, I think that I might be even less <laughs> frustrated than normal because I'll just be like well, at least they're having games and two this is <laughs> a really odd season so it, it's gonna just it's not gonna feel the same I don't think. Right. I don't think the course of the season at all is going to feel like what we're used to. All
0: right, Connor, appreciate your time tonight. It's a couple notes before we get out of here. Number one, make sure you check out the Locked On, uh, Locked On MLB podcast. Two, check out the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast. And then three, make sure you check out our full catalog of MLB Prospect, or excuse me, Nationals Prospect Previews, parts one through six. Those are all still uh, in our podcast feed. They are all evergreen those are going to be applicable basically all season uh, whether you know whenever we start or not it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the, the minor league stuff looks like as well too um, prospect previews and the first seven parts of this series are all up there first five are regular season games and then the last two we've done have been postseason games alright we'll be back for parts 8 9 and 10 world series edition of the 2019 Nats rewatch coming up next thank you for listening to this one tonight make sure you are all staying safe out there